welcome everybody. Thanks for joining us here at Grace Online this weekend. And thanks for taking the time to be together as a church family and to be our guest and uh, to hear what we're going to share from God's word and also be a part of what God is doing here at Grace Church. So always glad to see you and uh, grateful that you make the time. Uh, Before I jump into our conversation this weekend, I just want to put out this idea that we've been talking about for a couple of weeks here at Grace. And it's this idea of connecting with each other, especially as we're kind of separated uh, into our individual worlds because of COVID-19. So uh, this idea, pray for your three, that's an idea that's been around for a long time. It's a big deal here at Grace Church, where we say we want everybody to pray for three people by name every day that God would give you a no-brainer moment to share the reason for the hope that's within you. And so literally thousands of people are prayed for by name every day. You might be one of those people that are prayed for by name every day, that God would work in your life and that God would allow somebody to be a part of sharing the hope of Jesus with you. So we say pray for your three. And then we introduce this idea of meet with your two. So the Bible says that when two or more are gathered together, Jesus is in that meeting. So we want you to meet with your two and whether that's two or more, so that's life groups or connect groups, or that's just you and a friend meeting up over Zoom or together in a room at a coffee at a restaurant, reading the Bible together, reading a book about Christ together or something as simple as watching The Chosen together or watching Bible Project videos together on the internet, but connecting together on a spiritual level, not just a social level, and allowing God to tie you together and keep you tied to the people of God, even in this time of separation. So we want you to pray for your three, and we want you to meet with your two. Pray for your three, meet with your two. Now, if you're not sure how to make that connection with your two, We set up a help for you. So if you take your phone and text JOIN to 75787, JOIN to 75787, we'll start to help you make those connections. We'll let you know everything that's out there that the church is offering. Uh, We'll let you know how to like help connect with other people. Maybe they're looking for somebody too. But we want to facilitate for you that as best we can. If you don't need our help, that's great. But if you need our help, text JOIN75787 and stay connected through this time, right? So Zoom are in the room. Meet with your two. Pray for your three. Pray for your three. Meet with your two. Zoom are in the room and take advantage of that during this time. So we've been in a, a conversation called Regardless of Circumstances. And we've been talking about how God's people are called simply to be God's people, that we're not defined by crisis, we're defined by Christ. And we've been talking about that here for the last few weeks, podcast, back episodes on YouTube, uh, the website, it's all there. You may want to catch up with it. But this weekend, I want to talk to you about this, this question. As a follower of Christ, if you're a follower of Christ, who are you supposed to be And how do you use this time, times of disruption in the lives of other people? What's Jesus's mindset around you? 
If you're not a follower of Jesus yet, then maybe you'll help you understand a little bit about what your Christian friends and family might be thinking about and how they want to love you and share hope with you. But how does Jesus want his church to affect the world around us regardless of circumstances? Now, I would say that there's some really easy, quick answers that are probably cliche-ish, right? So God wants us to be kind. He wants us to be patient, loving, generous, those kind of things. And that stuff is great. And there's a lot of depth to those things. And, it, and if applied improperly, it's just kind of like a quick answer that we don't have to think much about. And what I want to do with us during our time together is I want to think about this a little bit more deeply. And I want to do that by talking through and walking through a prayer that Jesus prayed for us specifically before he went back to heaven. And he was talking about how he wanted us to be a part of what was going on in the world around us and how he wanted to affect the world through us. So let me show you this. If you got a Bible, open it up to John 17, the book of John 17. If you don't have one, this is on the app or maybe just Google it real quick. John chapter 17, and I want us to go to verse 14. We'll kind of start there, right? So there's a, there's a ton of stuff. We could talk for five weeks out of John 17, but we're just going to talk in this one passage of it. John chapter 17, start with verse 14. These are Jesus's words. He says this, he's talking to his heavenly father and he says, Father, I have given them, that's the church, I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you'll take them out of the world, but that you will protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. And my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for all those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are one in me and I am in you. So Jesus prays not just for the early churches going out at that moment into the world, but he actually prays for us. We're the ones who believe because of their message. So it's this fascinating prayer and it's fascinating what might be on Jesus's mind. As he, what's he thinking about and what is his heartbeat for us as we're kind of walking through our earthly journey? So this is what he says. He says, I've given them your word and the world has hated them for they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. So he says, I've given them your word. I've given them the gospel. I've given them the truth of, of who you are and who I am. And the world hates them for it. Now, I just want to pause here for a second. What is the world and who is the world? So I put a definition down for us just so we can talk about it clearly. The world in the Bible is any thoughts, values, beliefs, and actions not defined and directed by Christ. 
So the world is people who have thoughts, values, beliefs, and actions not defined and directed by Christ. It is philosophies, it is values, it is, it is culture, it is social norms. It's, the, it's all that we live in, right? And so Jesus says, that's what the world is. And then he says, he just lays it out. He says, I am sending them out there. I've taught them your word, the world, those thoughts, beliefs, values, and systems that are not defined by you, that are expressed through people. The world hates them because they are not of the world. They did not come from the world. They are not grounded in the world. They are different than the culture around them. Now this is huge, okay? So as we go through life and life is difficult and life has trials and life has disruptions and life is life, right? It also has joys and wonderful parts of life. But as we go through life, one of the things that Jesus is saying is, Father, the world culture is going to hate my followers for the exact same reason they hated me. The world hated me and the world is going to hate them because they believe in me. Now let's talk about this for a second. Why did the world hate Jesus? Why did the world hate Jesus? What, what did Jesus ever do to the people around him? What did he ever do to the Romans, right? He, he did not lead a protest. He did not lead a, a revolution. He never picked up a, a weapon. He was never unkind. So why did the Romans, the world that he lived in, why did they hate him, right? Why did the Jewish, the ancient Jewish leadership hate him? Why would they hate him? He, 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 he wasn't taking their money. He didn't start like a, compete, a competing synagogue down the road. Everybody started attending his. Why did they hate him so much? What was it about him that they, they hated, right? Now let's talk about this for a second. They hated Jesus because he was not of the world, his thoughts, his values, his beliefs, and his actions were defined by his father, defined by Christ is how we would say it, right? So they hated him because he was not of the world and they resented not really what he was doing or saying or like a, a cause that he had, nothing specific like that, they hated him because he worked against all of those norms and values and he would not participate in those norms and values. Uh, the Bible says this in 1 John chapter 2. It says, for everything in the world, and we talked what that means, everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world, right? Everything in the world, all this belief system values, none of this is from the Father, but it's from the world. In fact, what comes from the world is lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. I define lust this way in our notes. Lust is the passions and drivers of our lives that supplant our love and our devotion to Christ, right? So put this back into this, this verse, 
everything in the world, values, systems, norms, culture, that is all grounded in passions, values, uh, drivers that are not defined by God. The lust of the eyes, things that I want in my flesh that are not defined by God. The, the lust of, of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, things I look at, I covet, I want, I'm jealous, that are not defined by God. The pride of life, my personal like arrogance and belief in myself, my ego, that is not defined by God. All of that comes from the world and it does not come from the Father. It's not from God. So Jesus shows up and when he shows up on the planet, He's looking at the people around him and they are from the world. Their core value system is not defined by God. They want money. They want power. They want influence. They want control. They want to justify their sin. They want to believe their own opinions over the opinions of God. They are defined, their passions, their drivers are defined by this godless system around them. And they lust for those things. They want those things in their life more than they want anything else in their life and certainly way more than they want the truth of who God is. And Jesus is not from that. He's from the Father. He's from heaven. So none of those things work for Jesus and Jesus doesn't work in any of those things. He is other than. And when they saw that he was other than and they could not control him, they could not influence him, they could not manipulate him, they couldn't tempt him with what they had to offer. See, They hated him for it. The ancient Jewish leaders, they saw, they saw that Jesus was like drawing crowds and having influence and being considered a true teacher, but he wasn't selling anything that they were selling. And that meant that their lusts, their passions were being taken away from them. What they wanted more than anything, they felt like Jesus was threatening. The Romans, the, the Romans wanted control, they wanted power. And suddenly they realized when people devoted themselves to Christ, they started to think of themselves in a different citizenship. They, they were more apt to yield to Christ than they were to the threats and the power of the Roman government. Well, they hated Jesus for that. Jesus never led a revolution. He never had an election. They hated him for that. Why? Because they realized that their base what they lusted for, what they wanted more than anything in life, the followers of Jesus were interested in it and it caused them to lose control of the people around them. And they hated Jesus. They didn't hate Jesus because of what he said. They didn't hate Jesus because he was pushing against them, banging on their gates, trying to rip them of power, trying to overthrow them in the next election. They hated Jesus because they couldn't define him and they couldn't direct him because he didn't gain or glean his definition and his direction from their systems. He gleaned that from his father, from a whole different operating system. 
Now, what's fascinating is in his prayer in John 17, Jesus assumes his followers are going to undergo the same thing. He, he says, he says, Father, I taught them your word and the world hates them like they hated me because they don't, their passions, their drivers, their norms, their, their cultural cues don't come from the people that are around them or the systems or the values around them. In fact, as a Christ follower, none of that really matters to me. What matters to me is Christ defining and directing me, which he does the most clearly through his word. I don't, I don't draw definition from the world around me. I don't care if I'm rich or poor, if I'm in prison or out of prison, if I'm in power or out of power, none of that matters to me. I care if my life is aligned with Christ and if he is pleased with me or not. And when that mindset defines and directs me, it strips all the worldly systems of their power and their influence on me. So he makes that assumption that his followers are going to be like that, right? Now it's fascinating. Where Jesus draws like his power from is he does all that, but he doesn't call us to go like start our own country, our own city, our own commune. He leaves us in the middle of all of these other system thoughts and values. So he goes on in his prayer and he says this, he says, my prayer is not not that you take them out of the world, not that you run them away from all those systems, thoughts, values, power structures, not that you take them from the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of this world, even as I am not of it. Isn't that fascinating? So Jesus doesn't say, Father, get them out of it, protect them, build a spiritual moat so they never experience any trials or, or tribulations or disruptions in their life. That's not his gig at all. He doesn't say, Father, make sure you put them in a commune so they're only with people who agree with them about everything. That's not his gig at all. He says, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world. In fact, here's my prayer. My prayer is that you protect them from the evil one in the world. Now that's a fascinating prayer. Why would Jesus pray for a Christ follower's protection from the evil one? Let's, let's think about this for a second. Why, why would he pray that? Okay. What's the devil going to do to you as a Christ follower? It's a fascinating thing because as a Christ follower, I'm not afraid of death because the, the Apostle Paul says to be absent from the bodies to be present with the Lord. He also says, he says that when we die, what is mortal is swallowed up by life and it's God himself who created us for that very purpose. So as a Christ follower, I realize that my body is not me, my soul is me. And when my soul is released from my body, I'm with Christ living the life I was created to live. So if Satan's gonna kill me, I don't care. I don't fear death. That's not something that would keep me up. And I, I don't live my life to retain my earthly life. So what's Jesus praying for protection for? Why is he praying that? Is he praying that the devil, because the church is a, is a fragile thing and he doesn't want the devil to like ruin the church? 
Well, Jesus said, he said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Christ is the builder and the definer and the protector of the church. The church of Jesus Christ cannot be stopped because the kingdom of God will be built. And the church is the mechanism right now to, to do that. So it doesn't matter if it's persecution. It doesn't matter if it's trials. It doesn't matter if it's famine. It doesn't matter if it's nakedness. It doesn't matter if it comes from the inside or the outside. The true church of Jesus cannot be defeated. So what protection is he praying for for us? If the ultimate weapon is death and we believe death has been defeated, so we're not really afraid of it. Or the ultimate weapon is we're going to knock the church down and we're like, well, it's not a building anyway, so we don't care. What is Jesus praying for? Why would he pray for the protection of his church, right? Ready? He would pray that we're protected from the evil one, not because of death or because of defeat, but because we are subject to a temptation while we're here in the world. It's fascinating what the Bible says again in 1 John. 1 John, God says this, do not love the world, we define that, don't love the world or anything in the world, any material thing, any system, any mindset, any culture. Don't love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Jesus isn't praying here for our physical protection per se. Jesus is praying for our spiritual protection because he knows this, as I am in this world, I have to live by faith and faith is a journey, faith can be a struggle. And the great temptation I have is this, the great temptation is that the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life will become something that I love more than the transformation and the relationship I have with Christ. And that's a struggle we would fight all the time, right? I, I see the lust of the flesh. All of a sudden, my sexual activity, my, my covetousness, my greed, that, cause, that, that tempts me because I know what it means to be loving and devoted to Christ. I'm tempted to throw this away because that's right there. Father, protect them from that temptation. The, 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 the lust of the, of, the, of the eyes, I want to see it. I want to interact with it. I, I want to be a part of it. I want to I have that protect them, and it can draw me. And in a moment, or even on a big level, I can look and say, I want that so much more than love and devotion to Christ. The pride of life. I want to believe my own opinions. I want to make up my own truth. I want to do it my way. And that's so much important to me, more important to me than, than faith and devotion and yielding to Christ, that I'm tempted to engage that. And what John is saying here in 1 John, he's saying the love of the world and the love of the Father cannot exist in the same heart. And we're tempted, see, because we're here. We know the word. We've been used by God. The work has been done. But I'm 
always battling this temptation because I'm not removed from the world. So I need protection in it. And the love for the world and the love for the Father cannot coexist in the same heart. So Jesus goes on in his prayer in John 17, he prays this. And what he says is, he says, Father, what I want you to do is sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. So he says, sanctify these people. They're gonna be hated. They're gonna be tempted. The world is, they're not of the world, like I'm not of the world. They're gonna be tempted. They're gonna have false teachers, so protect them from that and sanctify them by the truth and your word is truth. What does it mean to sanctify somebody? What Jesus is saying is this. He's saying, Father, set them apart. That's what the word sanctification means or sanctify. It means set apart for a particular use. So God, protect them. They, they are just like me. They don't belong here. They're gonna be tempted by all of it but protect them from it, sanctify them by setting them apart for a particular use. What would that use be then? He's saying, teach them through your word, change them through your word, call them to mission through your word. Let them see the world around them through the lenses of your word. In other words, Father, give them my mind in my heart and define and direct them from me instead of the world around them which they've been called out of. Jesus looks at us, because remember he's praying for us, we're the hearers of the message. And he's praying for us and he's saying, I want them to understand what they're there for. There's a particular use, they're sanctified. And I want them to understand what they're there for. Well, what would they be there for? And Jesus would say, well, they're there for the same reason that I'm there. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So why are we still in the world? We're still in the world to be a beacon of light. We're still in the world to be an explainer of hope. We're still in the world to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. But we have to stand apart from the world. And that does not mean that we stand like in a combative place with the world. It means that we are defined from a different place than the world around us. So Jesus says, sanctify them for this purpose, to seek and to save the lost. And then he winds his prayer up this way. It's fascinating. He says this. He says, as as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. So Jesus says to the Father, Father, just like you sent me to seek and to save the lost, just like you sent me to stand apart, just like you sent me as as a person who was defined by you, not defined by the systems and strategies and cultures and norms around me, I am sending them. They're going to be hated for that. Not because they're being jerks or they're being loud or they're being obnoxious, they're being going to be hated because they won't buy in. They, they can't buy in. They've been exposed to your word. Their minds have been changed. Their hearts have been changed. And they just have a completely different foundation 
off of which they stand. And so just like I am like that, they are like that. And just like you sent me from you, I am sending them from me. Protect them. Protect them as they go and do that. And I am not sending them to stand apart. I am sending them into the world. I am sending them as a light, as a hope. And I want them to be in proximity to those who would hate them and not accept them because they are something different. Now, I know that's a lot to download, but it's an important thing. It's an important thing. Because what that means is this. It means as we go through trials and tribulations and disruptions here on earth, when we go through those things, we are exactly where Christ wants us to be. When, when we have friends and roommates and coworkers who they have completely different value systems, completely different goals, they would define a win completely different. They, they would look at you and say, I have no understanding of why you would begin to think that way and why you don't agree with something that makes such logical sense to the worldly mind. When you're in that conversation or you're in that tension, Jesus would look and say, you're exactly where you need to be because that's where I was put. I, I stepped out of heaven where everybody agreed with me. I was in a place where we were in such unity, me and the Father and the Holy Spirit, we were in perfect unity with each other. We could worship together, we could talk together, we could create together. There wasn't a, an iota of tension between us. And I stepped out of that and I was sent to a place where nobody agreed with me, nobody understood me. They hated me because of it, so much so that they feared that what they lusted for was gonna be lost and so they killed me. And you, as a Christ follower, are like me. I'm not of the world. You're not of the world. I'm not defined and directed by the world. You're not defined and directed by the world. And you're going to be hated because of it. Not because of what you do. Not because of your response. Not because you're like obnoxious about something. You're going to be hated because you won't fit in. See, I can't, I won't accept that cultural norm. I won't accept that system of disbelief. I won't accept the pursuit of that lust in my life. Why? Because my highest ambition is to love and be devoted to Christ. My wins are completely different than your wins. And I won't be a part of it. Well, you're self-righteous. Well, you're arrogant. Well, you're old-fashioned. Well, you're closed-minded. Yeah, it's just forms of hate. And I'm none of those things but I will not move. It's tempting to move. It takes a lot of pressure off to move. But I love the Father. And the love of the world and the love of the Father are not gonna be able to hang out in the same heart. 
So Jesus says to us as Christ followers, he says, you know what you guys are? You're sanctified. You're set apart for use. The life of a Christ follower has a singular usage. There's one thing that we live for. What is it? To glorify and to love Jesus, to love him with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. That is the singular purpose of the Christ follower. It is the singular purpose of the church. All the laws, all the commandments spin off of that. Everything else we do revolves around that singular thing, that we're loving God and we're loving the people around us. And as a Christ follower, we are to be known for that singular thing. And as a Christ follower, as you are known for that singular thing, Jesus says, I want you to know that people are going to hate you because of it. They're going to hate you because of it. The word has told you the truth, the Bible. Christ has told you the truth. The Holy Spirit has empowered that truth. And they're going to hate you because of it. But that's just what they did to me. But I'm sending you to them. I'm sending you to them. And when you go there as a sanctified person, I want you to be known for your singular purpose. I want you to be known for your love for Christ and your love for them. See? I don't want you to be known for your politics. I don't want you to be known for what football team you think is the best football team. I don't want you to be known for your hobbies. I don't want you to be known for your car. I don't want you to be known for your bank account. I don't want you to be known for your personal opinions on whatever. I want you to be known for me. When you talk about me, what is it that jumps to the forefront of your mind? And I send you for the exact same purpose. So that when they talk about you, what they talk about is your love for me and your love for them. Now guys, we live in a world where these temptations are around us. Everything from heresies to, to make God be what we want him to be instead of having him be who he is to the lessening of our lives, right? Where we, we give our lives to something that has no eternal value. And that pressure is on us all the time, ready? And that pressure has been on every person associated with Christ since Jesus was on the planet. It's normal. We're not supposed to fit in. And if you fit in and you never feel that pressure, it's probably because you're being defined from the world instead of being defined by Christ. Because when you're defined by Christ, you don't fit in. We are not called to retreat. So we need Christ followers who are in the political arena. We need Christ followers in entertainment, business, sports, academia, just fill in all of the blanks. See, we're sent into the world. We're not told to, to run from it. So it's not that you're doing the wrong things. It's that in the midst of what you're doing, you must always be. Be sanctified. Be of singular mind. Be of singular heart. Be defined and be directed by Christ. 
And when you do that, most people will hate you. Some won't care about you. And a few, a few will look at you and your life and your values and your peace and all the things that define you. A few will look at you and say, could you tell me for the reason, for the hope that's within you? And when they ask, God gives, them a, God gives you a no-brainer moment, then you tell. Then you tell why you're defined by something different. Why that over there doesn't matter to you. Why, why that crisis over there hasn't thrown you off kilter. Why it is that a Christ follower is not defined by crisis. They're defined by Christ. And that is what God has called us to. And that is who we are. And that is how that works from all time, regardless of circumstances. Would you pray with me? Jesus, work in us this way. God, if we've never thought this through in this way, help it to click and make sense. Help it to catch our hearts. We don't have to be obnoxious and we don't have to be loud and we certainly don't have to be combative. We just have to be defined and directed. And Lord, that's always gonna cause trials. It's the nature of following you. There's nothing strange happening to us. But it also creates big doors of effective ministry. So God, help us to pray, help us to be anchored, and help us to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have. God, right now, would you lay on our hearts and minds people that we could pray for every day. And if we have not yet chosen our three, would you bring those three people to mind right now? If we've done our already, would you help us to stop and pray for them right now? And God, let us do what you called us to do, our singular purpose, loving you by loving our neighbor, seeking and to save the lost. Work in us even now in these still moments as we worship together, Jesus, in your name, amen.